Welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Logan Fields, the author of 2020 Sports Betting. Logan, thanks for coming on the podcast. The Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au slash hub. Gamble responsibly. joined by Logan Fields, the author of 2020 Sports Betting. Logan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, pleasure to be here, Jake. Thanks for having me. It's a difficult task for many people to write a book, especially about betting. I know many people that have tried or have got one or two chapters locked away and they're still working on it, but what was the impetus to, to write a book, especially with someone with your background, which I want you to describe in, in detail as well so we can you know get a sense of where you've come from and, and how the book came to be? Okay, uh, I uh, grew up in on the East Coast in Maryland, and you know, through my had a normal upbringing, uh, gambling wise, I would say I was a NFL fifty dollar a game player on weekends, and maybe some blackjack a couple times a year up to Atlantic City. So there was just you know just a normal regular guy, and by the time I was thirty four, there was just nothing to indicate that I had a career in professional sports gambling. Uh, but things changed. And uh, it all started, uh, I guess, a ride home from work, listening to the uh, outcome of golf tournament, the match play championships. And they announced all these underdogs had won. The underdogs went like 21 and 11 the opening day. And I said to myself, you know, if I could only find betting lines for this, I could have nailed this because I knew that the golfers, I mean, you may have a one seed versus a 64 seed in this particular tournament, but their ability, it's nothing like college basketball. Their ability is so close that anyone can beat anyone else uh, with regularity on the PGA tour. So I, I searched that night for lines uh, and I found them. I was amazed because there had been a lot of radio advertisements and it was kind of puzzling at the time. You can actually bet on sporting events online. I mean, it was just incredible at the time. So I did find them. I found hundreds of sites, much to my amazement, and sent in a deposit that night and, and was off to the races. So looking back now, based on what you know, that moment, you know, when you're in the car and you're thinking about sports betting, do you think you were, you know, predisposed to be able to be successful at it? Or did you start from ground zero looking back now? Or tell me about, upon reflection, where you think uh, or how likely it was for you to be successful based on where you were at from a starting point? It's the one advantage I have or the gift I have that I think most professional gamblers is the ability to work well with numbers, to love numbers, to love working with them. And, and that's kind of innate. There was no training involved. I've just always had a knack for working with numbers, working well with numbers. And I think that's the biggest advantage. And that got me going where I can just figure out without the help of modeling or anything like that, I can figure out probabilities uh, much better than the average folk can. So I think that's the, the biggest 
uh, advantage I have and, uh, and, and kind of ran with that when I, once I started getting into it and, and was able to find plus EV opportunities, especially in those early days in the late 90s when the industry is, it was, is clearly not as evolved as it is now, where it's much more difficult to get your foot in the door now and to find those advantages. So the whole, I guess, premise of being a professional gambler usually involves some sort of secrecy or keeping your edges to yourself. And obviously, as soon as they get out into the marketplace, then they'll diminish. So writing a book isn't always high on the list or number one on the list. Tell me about, I think I called it 2020 sports betting before. I think it's sports betting 2020. But tell us about the book, the, the intent behind it. Was it, a, was it a, an outlet for you or was it something that helps you in your professional betting or what was the, uh, the reason behind it? Uh, it goes way back, uh, even before uh, my career in sports betting, I actually uh, wrote a humor book in the late 90s. This is while I was working in insurance. And uh, believe it or not, I was able to find a publisher. Uh, I Allow me to shamelessly promote it because it's still seeing the light of day on Amazon. It's called Wilbur Winkle Has a Complaint. And that's surprising to a lot of people because professional gamblers for the most part aren't known for their quick wit they're more you know kind of shifty socially awkward kind of guys but i wrote that it was a great experience i had a lot of fun with it i did a lot of radio and and tv and and actually even appeared on the o'reilly factor in its very early days uh where i was uh i took the train up to new york and and appeared on that show so it was a lot of fun and after 10 years or so of sports betting, I figured, man, that, that was fun. Let's, let's try to do it again. I, I have an interesting topic, I think. And uh, so I got going on it. It, it was uh, over the span of years. It's not like I hold away in my basement and cranked out the sports betting book. Uh, I just, you know, at slow times, I would uh, knock out a few pages here and there. And uh, over several years, and eventually I did find a publisher. That took quite a while, too. Uh, as far as uh, uh, does it uh, help me internally, it's, it was more of just uh, a labor of love. I enjoy writing, and, and I enjoy talking about or writing about uh, sports betting. So the, the one thing you'll find everywhere is, is people say, here's what I like, or here's what I think you should bet, go and bet it, or... Here are my power ratings or power rankings. Go and convert those into, uh, you know, probabilities or whatever it might be, and and you know, make decisions with your your betting that way. I think the one thing that is you know missing a little bit, and maybe it's um, not necessarily something that people want to always do because it's far more intensive in terms of time and and digging into the details some more and and learning about you know how to fish versus sort of giving some of the fish. So, from your point of view, were you going to be focusing on sort of giving people information in that way so that they could go and use it for the longer term as opposed to sort of short-term things that you know inevitably will dry up or will be sort of you know instant gratification or loss uh i believe for the most part i'm i'm trying to instruct the reader on on how to fish rather than giving them the fish uh but i i ran into problems like i i figured at some point, I got to throw some red meat out, out to the uh, reader so they can specifically see exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I, I don't share all of my uh, uh, the things that I do, but th- there is some helpful things specifically on proposition wagering, 
and golf wagering where I get really down and dirty and I show exactly what I'm doing. Uh, but for the most part, it's more of a, you know, it's think like a pro. Uh, this is how I'm thinking. This is how I make money without specifically describing each and every method that I'm using. Uh, but I am very, very specific at times as far as, as how I'm doing it. Can you take us back to the insurance industry days and how you transitioned from that into uh, professional gambling and professional betting? Because I think you know many people sit in those office jobs or have those gigs where they are in an industry that isn't gambling and I might want to switch over at some point. So what was your story when it came to that? Okay, so... 34 years old, uh, making decent money. I, I went to college in Maryland and, and eventually got into the insurance industry, making, you know, getting by maybe, you know, as far as a bankroll goes, I mean, virtually non-existent. I mean, I didn't have much money at all, maybe a, a few thousand dollars tucked away at the bank, but you tend to spend what you, what you make. So living a very normal, uh, mundane existence in Tampa, Florida. And once I discovered, uh, I, I quickly discovered that the books, when I looked around, were making some mistakes. And I took advantage of those mistakes. And I quickly, I told myself, uh, as soon as I get a year's salary, I'm going to leave my job and focus totally on sports betting. And my first bet was placed in late February of 99. Uh, after that car ride home, won the match play championship in golf. And by June 8th, I, I, or July 8th, I left the job. So it took me approximately four months uh, to get that year's salary banked away. And, and it's been my sole income ever since. It's been, geez, 22 years now. Amazing. So amazing how time flies. So uh, that's pretty much how I got going. And, um, and left the job. I will say it, it's much more difficult. They were freewheeling days. The, the things were, the sports books were popping up overnight. Uh, they were, you know, much easier uh, to beat uh, than they are today. It's it's much more of a challenge. I, I think it can be done. I, I continue to be profitable, and I think uh, other people that have that wish or dream, uh, it can be accomplished. But it, it is difficult. So tell us about those early days, because many people listening in their 20s and 30s probably have no idea what that time was like and, you know, obviously experiencing what it is today uh, and how easy certain aspects of things can be compared to back then. Tell us about the first couple of years and, and what your process was like, what you were doing, what you were focusing on, some of the, the things that might be unbelievable to, to someone in their 20s today. Okay. Uh, specifically, what really got me going was one play and books were copycatting back then as they still do you see lines one place and they'll copy them and they'll post them up another place as well so the the wager that i really got jump started and, and was able to grow my bankroll tremendously in just a month or two was uh let's say uh, tiger woods to win a golf tournament he'll be listed let's say eight to one well they had a they listed 30 golfers and at the bottom they'll have the field listed at four to one. So you're betting that one of those top 30 golfers is not going to win at four to one odds. But then they had a second column and you're familiar 
uh, with horse racing for sure. Uh, they had a, a place column where you can, uh, by reducing the eight to one by 25% or by 75%, you could get Tiger Woods to place at two to one. But they also had that available for the field. So you reduce the four to one field odds, that becomes even money. Now, I ran the numbers and figured, man, I'm, I'm betting that anyone outside the top 30 has to place in that top four, which I concluded it was about a 95% chance of winning and it was even money. So a tremendous, tremendous advantage. So I played it in that book where I discovered it and I continued nosing around and found that it was available in three, four, five books even. So I spent the first, those first couple weeks um, going to Western Union. That's the way we did it back then. We, we physically showed up at Western Union offices and sent money to these Caribbean sports books. And when you're getting even money on a bet that wins 95% of the time, you can imagine it's gonna, your rise is going to be quite dramatic. So that's initially how I did it. But I found all kind of crazy advantages. Uh, they, they weren't, um, uh, they would keep golf matchups on the board um, even after the match had started. So there was just all kind of big, big advantages that just are not available now. Uh, so that's pretty much how I got my start um, <clears throat> in those first couple months. Did those advantages stick around for an entire golf season or was it longer than that back then, just given the, the nature of information flow? Or is it similar to today where some of the things can dry up relatively quickly? Uh, these plays, um, I was undefeated on that field bet. I, I took it, I think, seven or eight times and then they cut it down to uh, one to two odds. And I still kept playing and I would play at one to five, one to whatever. And eventually they took it away. But I think the, the, the writing finally appeared on the wall and it disappeared. Uh, but it sure enjoyed it while it lasted. That's for sure. Back then, what were you using as an aide? Were you, you know, was it spreadsheet type stuff? Were there other tools you were using? Were you on, you know, forums talking with other people? What was the what did you have in your arsenal to try and beat the books back then? Uh, back then, it was so just using, uh, you know, I didn't have much. and I didn't learn how to uh, use Excel probably for the first two or three years. But the lines were so off then, I just used handicapping just without much aids at all. Uh, for this field bet, I just looked back at the PGA Tour, the, the winners, and just uh, looked at who was in the top four every week. And basically, you know, if you didn't, if they weren't all big time players, you're going to win that bet. So that's how I came up with the uh, the 95 percent uh, advantage. So there was very little with regard to modeling, with regard to Excel, figuring out odds and percentages that I rely on much more uh, in this day and age. So I'm guessing in the beginning. You're from Maryland, so I'm guessing, what do you follow? What are your teams, the Ravens, or who do you normally follow? Oh, I'm Ravens, yeah, typical Baltimore teams, Ravens, yeah. Orioles. That's who I grew up uh, rooting for, diehard uh, Orioles fan. And uh, So you must have wanted yeah. to bet those teams, and you want to go straight to the NFL and bet the sides and, and stuff like that. Is that what you did? Did you spend some time in those bigger markets, or were you able to stay disciplined and, and focus on those 
crazy advantage you could find in golf and some of those other places? Yeah, mostly my entire career is spent on finding those advantages on proposition wagers, uh, which the field bet was pretty much. It's a proposition. Uh, I have never been, uh, it seems 99% of the discussions are on the straight wagers. If you listen to sports uh, gambling radio on, on the totals and, and that stuff, I mean, who can beat those lines? I mean, it's a very, very rare breed. Uh, the public, they're not going to, they're not going to win on the NFL over the course of a couple of years. May they have a lucky year and win one year. Sure. But over time, you're not going to be able to beat the markets uh, very, very few can. So I'm totally focused on the markets I can beat uh, in the sports that I can win at, uh, specifically golf. Uh, as far as NFL football, uh, I'm not playing uh, sides and totals, but I am taking a look at, at each NFL game. There must be 100 props, um, you know, every game. Posted So that's, you know, you have a thousand props to look at on Sundays. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that uh, I'm wagering on even today. How have those props developed? Because like you said, there's thousands now. Um, Are there still, you know, a dozen that are mispriced every Sunday compared to maybe years ago where there might have been a total of 50, but you might have found you might have found a, a handful that were mispriced as well. What's the the dynamic being like uh, when it comes to props over the years? Okay, back back in the day, I could go down. There was a book, sportsbook.com, and they would put up for a Saturday, they would put up 150 college football props, and I would go right down the menu and play the under in every single one of them without even researching and would win week in and week out. I don't think I ever lost. That's how mispriced the props are. Uh, today's market's much more difficult. If I'm looking at 100 NFL props on Sunday, I might find three or four out of those 100 that I'll play, and those edges often aren't real big. But, you know, if you can get 500 down on a prop, three or four per game, you got 50 props, uh, 500, that's $25,000 in play. So, uh, even though the opportunities are not nearly as much as those early days, uh, I think they're still there. And I'm still busy on Sunday. I'm making plays and I'm coming out ahead. So the opportunities are there, just much more difficult to uncover. And what about the Super Bowl? Because that's known as a bit of a bonanza when it comes to props. Has that been an area you've really focused heavily on over the years? Or is that getting better and better as well? Because I know you would always hear people talking about some of the you know, bigger props that I remember the one about, you know, will there be a safety, you know, the no price was huge. And a lot of people would take that every year or some of these types of things that would always get discussed. But, you know, now there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, sheets and sheets of of betting props on a, on a typical Super Bowl. Is that, is that an area that you've spent a lot of time on over the years? Uh, It definitely is. Uh, I'm, I'm in Vegas. I make probably a half dozen trips to Vegas every year. And for the Super Bowl props, uh, those are five or six days when they come out that I'm definitely in town and working them. Uh, the prices are still, I mean, it's very challenging. Uh, you have to, uh, you're, play, you're playing against the other professionals as well. They're scurrying about around town and uh, it, it's pretty much whoever gets to them first 
is going to find all the value. There's so many people, I would say there's probably, I don't know, 25, 50 professional players uh, playing those props that uh, the value is going to be gone like 30 minutes after they're issued because these players know what props are coming on the board. They know, they calculate what the prices should be, and they're not going to miss on many of them. So if you're not there right at the release, uh, you're not going to find a lot of value. But that is a part of my arsenal. I'm there every year. You, The safety bet you mentioned, it, it's still, there's value. That's probably the best uh, wager in the house. I mean, you can get minus 800, minus 900, um, any place pretty much. And uh, the odds actually should be about minus 1,500. So you're getting a lot of value there. But who wants to uh, go to Vegas and put all that money and sweat the Super Bowl? I mean, when have <laughs> it's just totally no fun. Uh, when have you ever seen guys celebrating the fact that there wasn't a safety? It just doesn't happen, at least in my world. So that's that's part of the the uh, betting NFL props is your the wagers you make are not fun. Uh, the public wants to bet on Tom Brady to throw over 300 yards. They want him to throw over two touchdowns. They want to bet on Gronk to score a TD where the lines are going to reflect that. So the value that you find are, are things that are not fun. You're, you're, you're hoping things don't happen. You're hoping for a, a game filled with three yards and a cloud of dust. I mean, that's, that's really what you're, what you're hoping for. So it's not fun at all. In fact, on Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons, uh, watching the red zone, uh, I told you maybe three or four plays per game. Uh, you know, that adds up. I have a lot of action. Uh, when you're sitting down watching the red zone, it's just excruciating because they want to show stuff that is happening. So everything they show uh, is basically not good for you. So it, it's really tough to, to do this. <laughs> it's not fun, but you have to look at the bottom line. I guess you couldn't watch, but uh, I guess I enjoy the, the pain in a way. Who knows? But yeah, it's a grind. Well, I, I remember the uh, there was a period there. I think Peyton Manning on that first play where there was a safety it might have been might have been against the Seahawks, and then around it might have been a bit earlier. The uh, I think it was might have been the Ravens against the Forty ers The last play of the game was a safety where they were trying to run some time off the clock and the punter ran the ball back into the end zone. So there's been some tough You're years right. for some of those bets. I, I guess an extension to that, you talked before about you know you can almost bet blindly on the unders at a certain point in time and betting on things not to happen, always taking the no at some bigger prices and, and stuff like that sometimes and unders. It, it seems like um, that's the way most are going to be targeting it. And even though there is those examples of the safeties happening and things like that, there's going to be the, I think it was the rams Patriot Super Bowl where I think only Sony Michelle scored a touchdown, a couple of field goals and very low scoring as well. So I'm guessing even though there are some of those um, safety examples over the time, you're going to have some more success if you're betting on things not to happen. You're on the unders and, and you have big collects in, in some of those situations. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely correct. Uh, over time, uh, you're always going to be better, at least how the markets stand now. And I, I think it comes down to human nature. Uh, you're always, if you have time not to research at all, uh, you're always better on the under and thing and the no bets because it's just uh, human nature. People want to bet on things uh, to happen. They want excitement. They want to celebrate the wins. Uh, 
So, uh, yeah, the safeties, I, I believe it was three straight years, like you stated. So, really, they, they were some tough years because you're losing. Most professional betters have some exposure on the no safety because it's such a strong play. But I don't think they make the their exposure big enough that it's going to send them to the canvas if it loses. You know, there's uh, – uh, we always have a little bit on it, but not not a whole lot because we, we try to find value in other places. Yeah. So this style of betting, how flexible have you been over the years? Because to tell someone, like you said, it's not always that sexy. It's a grind using this sort of terminology. How easy is it to stick to this approach over the long term? Because I'm guessing many who have, let's say, five years of sustained success doing this type of thing, will want to then go and attack NFL sides or totals, or they'll want to go and attack, you know, NBA or, or things like that. Have you been able to dabble in other things or have you been pretty disciplined to stick to what works for you and, and have that evolve over the years? Obviously things change and, and markets morph and, and get a bit better and more efficient, but then more options and availability pop up with more props and things like that. Tell me about that and, and how you've thought about it over the years. Uh, yes, it's, uh, um, I've, I'm very disciplined with what I do, uh, but there are opportunities and, and some of these I don't go over in the book. There, there are occasions where I'll bet 10, 15,000 on an NFL side or total. Uh, those are rare events, but with, when the stars align perfectly, uh, at least as, 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 as I see, they should align or are aligned. Uh, I will make that, that big, big wager so it's not all grinding out, but I would say 90% of my profits come from this uh, grinding uh, of the profits. Uh, it, it's more, it, it's not a lot of fun, as I keep mentioning, but, you know, it's a job and I enjoy it because getting back to, I enjoy working with numbers. I think the fun part is finding the value rather than watching the game itself. Uh, I get the adrenaline rush of, of figuring out uh, mentally, intellectually, that this is a strong play and here's why it is, and to make the wager. Uh, that's that's my fun. Of course, you know, the events itself are, are uh, uh, fun to watch as well, but it's all about finding the value. That's the, the real fun in this. What information do you intake that's valuable for you? Is it only market information? So you know, prices of these props, you know, real odds that are out there, maybe different sports books, or there are other sources of information that can help you. Or even in that, you know, NFL example, when you might bet aside for a decent chunk of change, are you, you know, finding information from different sources or how is, how is the, uh, I guess the tools and, and stuff out there that you might use? Yeah, I purchase uh, most of the data that I use uh, from uh, various outlets, um, Football Armchair Analytics, uh, they 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 chronicle every single play, and the NFL is is um, included on their spreadsheet. It's just massive, and and I get that data, and I look for certain things, and that's how I pro <clears throat> that's how I price a lot of the profs. So it's uh, I don't you know the all the data that I buy costs me you know maybe a thousand dollars a year. And a big bulk of that is the NFL stuff. That's about 800, I believe. So uh, that's where I'm getting the information. And that's where I'm uh, working the numbers in Excel and, and trying to find value. 
I want to focus on golf for a moment. Let's just take this, you know, upcoming season. Let's say, uh, how how do you plan for it? How, what prep work do you do? Do you have things in mind that you want to look for throughout the coming, you know, golf season, and you'll attack those, or does it does it evolve throughout a season, and you need to cut it up into smaller chunks, for example, or are you honing in on individual players like you know Morikawa, for example, over the last sort of twelve or eighteen months might be a guy you you know, we're following through that type of thing or tell me about some sort of strategy items that you might use or some listeners might be interested in hearing about. Okay. Um, early on, I was handicapping golf and finding a lot of value because the lines uh, weren't up to snuff. In today's world, things have changed dramatically. Uh, there are golfing modelers that are really astute at, at getting the lines right. Uh, the value is no longer there. Uh, I spent uh, last week on the Players' Championship. Uh, I said, I'm going to take a look. I'm going to go the old-fashioned route. I'm going to handicap these 100 matchups because I know this course and I know uh, who's going to, who should excel. Uh, I'm going to look at course form. I'm going to look at current form. I'm going to look at driving accuracy. I'm going to handicap these matchups. And I started doing it. I got about a third of the way through and concluded I'm not finding value anywhere. It's because of these modelers. And and you had one on the show, Rufus Peabody. I think he's one of the most well-known ones. Uh, these guys are that good. So what I can do is just not going to compete with those. Could I partner with a model and try to come up with my own? And, and uh, I mean, is that realistic that I'm going to be better than those guys? And there's more than one guy doing it. There's data golf that are, that, that are doing it as well. So I golf handicapping the way I used to do it. It's just not happening now. I'll still do it at Augusta because I, I just know the masters, I believe so well that I think I can squeak out some value there. So I quickly, I didn't make it through the 100 matchups. As I said, I, I saw the writing on the wall. These guys are just too good. But that's not to say I don't have action this week. And I have a lot of action. And I, have, <clears throat> I had a huge, gigantic play, uh, despite what these modelers are doing. Because Wednesday, as I was handicapping these matchups, uh, I have the golf channel on. And sure enough, Justin Rose is being interviewed and he states that he hasn't swung a club in a week. Uh, he withdrew uh, the weekend before at Bay Hill. Uh, that is incredible information to have. So immediately I pulled up the Justin Rose lines and you got to have some background. You got to be able to handicap somewhat. Uh, and I concluded that these lines are set with 100% healthy Justin Rose. Justin Rose is not 100% healthy. He's got a bad back. And he even said in the interview, I'm going to be a game time decision. So I immediately, and golf wagering, you'll be shocked at how much you can wager now. It's really, really taking off. And I recall during the football season, I could get uh, on a Sunday morning, I could bet $10,000 on a daily golf match. And meanwhile, the NFL playoff games, the totals were 5K. I mean, figure that out. It's just really. So I unloaded against Justin Rose. Unfortunately, uh, it did not work out. He uh, withdrew a couple hours before, so it's no action. But uh, 
there's a chance that he would have made it a go, gave it a go, and uh, he's going to be uh, firing not on all cylinders. Uh, there was a lot of value when I made those plays. I'm convinced of that. Uh, it just didn't work out on this particular occasion. But those are the things I'm going after. The things that aren't factored into the modelers' uh, spreadsheets and what they're coming up with. Because how do you model a Justin Rose saying he's a game-time decision? Uh, the same thing happened with Chris Wood a couple years ago that I chronicled in the book in the British Open. He's pretty much said the same thing on the eve of the tournament. I think he said he was even in tears uh, with pain. Uh, he did give it a go. Uh, I unloaded against him before the tournament started, just as I did against Justin Rose. And in this particular occasion, he withdrew after 12 holes. And, and in golf, if, if, if you WD, uh, if you're on the other side, you're a winner. It's not like tennis where, the, where the, uh, it has to go to the full length. Uh, golf is a different animal. So those are the things that I'm looking at, the things that modelers are not picking up. Uh, uh, one more thing I'll, I'll touch on briefly, uh, a guy named, I'm, I'm following the golfers on golf Twitter now, and a guy named Brandon Stone, I think two weeks ago, uh, got into a tournament. He found out on a Tuesday, uh, and he was in Dubai, I believe, and on his social media account, he uh, <clears throat> uh, chronicled what he was going to need to do to make his tee time on Thursday. To me, that was a green light. I mean, you can't travel halfway around the world, not see the course and expect to be sharp. Uh, his lines as well and the handicapping that I did, uh, they reflected a normal Brendan Stone who is 100 percent, who is well rested. So I unloaded on that one as well. Uh, had a little bit of success. He beat me on Thursday, but I came back and beat him Friday and the rest of the weekend. So those are the things that I'm going after that the modelers are not catching. Do you prefer betting into markets with Tiger Woods? Because obviously a large chunk of your betting career has probably included Tiger at the top of a lot of those outright markets. And I know you're probably focusing on other things as well. But nowadays with, you know, a good DJ, Brooks, you know, there's a lot of guys coming through now. Rory, of course, and John Rahm. You can go down the list. There's a few now who are right up there. Has it been better to, to see those kind of guys come through and, and different types of betting markets with some of those, you know, fields where it's 10 to 1 the field at least? And then obviously those Tiger days, you're getting even as crazy as 3 to 1 and 4 to 1 and some of these prices, which in a golf tournament you'd think is, is impossible. But obviously, you know, that was the power of Tiger in those those betting events. Yeah, Tiger has, has cost me so much money over the years because – he, when leading majors, I would go in on a Saturday night and say, he just can't. Things go wrong. Guys come from behind to catch him. And I would play so many guys that, you know, 15, 20 to 1 to overtake them, and they never did. Uh, I thought Tiger's odds, it just always seemed like they were inflated, like you said, 3 or 4 to 1, and the matchup's the same way. And he just totally, totally has crushed me. Uh, but he's been great for the game. He's been great for betting. He's been great for fantasy sports because who knows where we'd be if there wasn't Tiger Woods. So for, for that reason, uh, I'm grateful that uh, he's, he's put the game where he has, which is, uh, you know, like I said, with, with those betting lines on, on nothing matchups on Sunday, you can get more down on an NFL game. It's just unbelievable. So, uh, as far as the field plays, outright markets, uh, I basically uh, 
we'll look at those on Saturday nights. I think b- before the tournament starts, the lines are so good that uh, I'm not uh, I'm not real active on those uh, markets before tor- pre-tourney. And what about the different types? Obviously, there's match play, there's stroke play, there's you know the Ryder Cups and all these different things going on throughout the year. Is that something else that you've found advantages in, or is it you know a game of golf is a game of golf and it doesn't really matter? And at the end of the day, you'll just attack it with the different variables that exist, and uh, and that's just the way it'll be. I'm far more active on on the uh, the four majors and and the players last week. They call that the fifth major. Uh, because they do have more props, especially with the players last week, with the guys, uh, <clears throat> will they uh, make an ace, uh, things like that. Will they put a ball in the water on 17, the island green? Uh, I think I'm much more adept at finding value in those kind of peculiar, kind of strange lines. Uh, I also gravitate towards uh, making cuts. Will guys make cuts? Will they miss cuts? Uh, margin of victory. Things that uh, increasingly, I'm afraid, the modelers are, are getting more involved with those wagers as well because I can see the line sharpening up. But uh, those are still on my radar. I still make the trips to Vegas four times a year. Those are four of my trips with the golf wagers because I still feel confident uh, in some of those plays. You, feel, you see a lot more or less than just the basic run-of-the-mill matchups when uh, the golf majors are occurring, specifically the Masters. That's my favorite event of the year. Uh, Played on the same course, so I I feel really comfortable in um, finding value on those lines. So for those listening that haven't yet picked up a copy of the book, and they should definitely do so, um, what's one of the themes that you would most want to harp on when it comes to either an aspirational gambler who's looking to improve and increase their betting acumen that comes from, you know, we talked before about thinking like a pro. Is there anything that stands out from from writing the book and going through that process that you would impart to those people looking to improve? Yeah, I think the, the book is focused towards recreational gamblers. Uh, if you're the type of gambler that I was and just wants to play a few games on in, in fall on the weekends, that's fine. But uh, and, and have fun. I mean, gambling is fun. And, you know, for 90% of the people doing it, they're, they're, well, 99% are, are recreational, I would say. There's uh, very few professional gamblers out there. Uh, but I think I can, with the methods that I use, I can look and, and, and hopefully direct people to broaden your horizons a little bit and, and start. If, if you want to uh, focus on making money or at least not losing as much, uh, there's much in my book that I think that can help you. Uh, specifically on going after those markets that uh, perhaps they're not attacking now. And as I said earlier, 99% of us us are just playing those sides and totals and parlays, uh, specifically parlays. That's just not where it's at. They're a lot of fun. Uh, Have fun with them. But if you're really interested in financially and upping your game, uh, I think you would uh, find my book useful, informative, and perhaps get you in the right direction. And basically, you can see what you got. I, I talk a lot in the book, uh, evaluating what you need to do to see if this could be something where you could use as a part-time job. Do you have a knack for it? And uh, I provide some tests that you can do on your own to see, do I have the right stuff? Can I do this? So you'll find that in the book as well. So definitely recreational gamblers, who are interested in upping their game, 
uh, I think will find my book uh, interesting. And one final area I wanted to get your thoughts on was just the general trajectory of, of sports betting as it applies to someone with your style and your techniques and your you know approach because plenty of people will say how hard it is to get on these days and limited accounts and being kicked out of sports books and a lot of those types of things uh, if you are winning. However, I also hear you talk about you know thousands of different props that are available. Um, you know, golf especially limits are going up, and availability of, of betting options there is seemingly positive. You know, betting markets are becoming more globalized, which can have some positive impacts. And you talked about sort of the copycat effect on some of the lines and prices. If if that's the case, there might be some better options out there available. So I, I don't know that everything necessarily has to be negative, but I'd love your viewpoint viewpoint on you know what the next handful of years might hold for someone like yourself in this space or do you anticipate it getting easier or a little bit harder or a bit of both or what's the what's the next steps look like for you uh i'm optimistic that with the i mean i just heard that someone say in new jersey there's like 19 different outs and i just think that with variety and it's going to continue to grow uh, we don't have it i live in california we don't have it here out but here yet, but uh, supposedly 2022, it's looking good. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, I'm hoping for some golden years ahead. I know some books are frustrating, specifically to professional players. They can't get action down, but there's going to be uh, books that aren't so sharp. And, and the more uh, books you have and, and, and the more growth you have, uh, it's going to be a real thinning of, of the ranks. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some smarts to run a sports book. And I think the, the higher the growth, uh, you're going to see some things that I saw earlier in my career where it seems like they're asleep at the wheel. They're going to be, uh, <clears throat> more exposed. You're going to find more opportunities. So, uh, that's my hope. That's my outlook. Uh, I haven't, as far as, uh, getting cut off accounts, um, it is necessary for me to partner with others. Uh, it's just not me. I have been cut off uh, in online and in Vegas. I'm, I've been cut off in Vegas, but I, I have betting partners, and together uh, we're able to continue on and to make wagers that we want to. Uh, I'm a little less under the radar as far as I'm not making the – I think a lot of the steam players are the ones who – run into the most problems where books can easily recognize that these guys are, are, are <clears throat> picking off our stale numbers and, and they don't want that kind of action. So those players, it's going to be continue to be difficult for them. Uh, I think uh, of what I'm doing, it's a little easier to fly under the radar, but they're noted. They notice prop players pretty quickly as well. So it, it is necessary to, uh, to have partners in what I do. So the book's available on Amazon, is that right? Uh, yes, it is available on Amazon. Uh, Huntington Press, Anthony Curtis is the publisher. Uh, if you go to his website, I think you can get a little cheaper if you're going for the book form. Yep. Uh, I think he has a special uh, 20 slash 20 or 2020 is the price there where Amazon and other booksellers is going to be a couple dollars more. Uh, so... Well, I, I, I saw a, uh, a very kind review from Elio Fustel, who's known in this space. I think he called it uncommonly good sports betting book. So uh, if that's anything to go by for those that are still not yet convinced, it's definitely worth a read. It's worth picking up. And there's not too many books out there these days that will help you you know, make that step up if you're looking to 
you know, move from the, the lower to middle tier and, and get better at sports betting. So um, I would encourage plenty of people who are in that, you know, in that range to go out and, and get a copy and, and pester you with emails and questions and then learn from you as well because I think that's one thing that, you know, finding people that have done it in the past and are continuing to do it is not that easy and um, the book will certainly shed some light on that for them. So thank you. I was thrilled to get uh, uh, Lehigh Fustel's uh, review of that because he's reviewed more books than anyone. Uh, he knows more about the industry than anyone. And uh, he wrote Conquering Risks. So uh, he was the first guy to review it. I sent him a copy and, and I didn't hear from him for a week. And I was on pins and needles thinking, man, does he just <laughs> not like it or what? And just such a relief. Because he, he wrote a very favorable review, and he said, if you follow my methodology, uh, you're actually in a good position uh, to make money, to have an advantage. So, yeah, that was thrilled uh, to get that, to say the least. Well, and I think just the, the methodology is very apt for many because you can you know focus on some of these smaller markets, the prop betting stuff, as opposed to an alternative method, which people sort of read and hear about and building your own whiz bang model to try and beat a major market it's just obviously more difficult so i think it's certainly exactly. a, a valuable starting point if nothing else for many people and if they want to expand into that other stuff they can absolutely do that do that and there's you know books on on those types of things as well but it's been fun chatting i appreciate your time it's uh it's not often you pick up a good sports betting book these days there's plenty of bad ones out there so it's it's very nice to, be able <laughs> to steal some of your time and then hear about your story and then obviously the book well, thank you very much, Jake. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, long-time listener of the show and uh, appreciate it. It's quite a thrill to finally uh, uh, to be on here as a guest. So thank you. 